Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. In this episode, I sit down with Simon King, director of the CMU Design Center and author of Understanding Industrial Design. We talk about team dynamics and what he learned at IDEO, CMU's new design center, and the next set of challenges for the design community. Enjoy the show. Hello, this is Mary Tressler. Today I'm here with Simon King, who is the director of the CMU Design Center and author of Understanding Industrial Design. Simon, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Um, I'd love for you to first talk about the Design Center at CMU and its goals and your role there. Sure. So the Design Center is something that actually doesn't exist quite yet. It's <laughs> something that, that we're trying to get started, and I've come to CMU to, to try to form it. So the, the idea right now, we've been spending the whole last semester uh, as a kind of research phase to figure out what it should be and how it can complement other things on campus. But the idea is to, to bring design to more students across the whole campus and to create new kinds of research opportunities to, to work with organizations from outside of the university as well. So the, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of in a researcher founder role right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, it's something that we're, ma- we're basically making the case for why the university should invest in this new center that would have a point of view that design is a universal meta skill that all the students on campus should should have access to. Um, you know, it's something that for some disciplines it just gets rolled into the general education requirements for for mm-hmm. all undergraduates. But you know, we're not we're not quite there yet with design. That's a bigger case to be made. But um, we're seeing a lot of interest and demand for design from all these other disciplines. And you know, if you look at if you look at a lot of other universities, there are these kinds of institutes, whether it's the the D School at Stanford or the Siegel Design Institute at Northwestern, that are a, their mandate is to bring design not just with you know to a small group, but to to all students. And CMU is positioned, I think, well to do that because they actually have a top ranked design school mm-hmm. on campus as well. So how did it come about? I'm curious. So it's something that the head of the school, Terry Irwin, has been thinking about or hoping to figure out how to do for some time. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, once, once, I, once I joined, I uh, sort of provided the bandwidth to actually do the research and, and, and build the, the case for it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that, that's, that's been talked about. It's, it's sort of been simmering for a while. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, it's, it, it, it's not there quite yet. It's a case that we're making um, to the administration, and we hope to get their support in the next couple months and, and actually be able to you know, put a timeline in place and figure out a space, a physical space for it. And um, I'm learning a lot about how things work at university in terms of, <laughs> in terms of politics and, and structure. And you know, it's, it's a pretty different experience than, than in practice. Right, right. Well, your design experience must play into it, working well with others. <laughs> yeah, I, basically, I'm treating the creation of the center as a design project in and of itself, and um, we're we're kind of at the prototyping phase right now. Oh, excellent, excellent. So, personally, why do you think uh, everyone should learn about design? Well, one of the things we're seeing at CMU is that it's it's really not a push; it's a pull. It's not something hmm. where you know the school of design is saying everyone should learn about design. It's that. There's all these students across campus in business, in engineering, in computer science that are seeing the value of design, that are wanting to get into design. And actually, it's one of the catalysts for 
this center that there's the wait lists for the few classes that are available to non-designers mm-hmm. just fill up immediately. They're just swamped. And um, so, you know, it's something that I think everybody is everybody is wanting to to learn a little bit about. It's in, in I'm actually organizing a couple workshops, um, sort of part of this prototyping phase hmm. uh, next week because there's a recruiting event happening on campus and there's there's going to be some industry people there already. So some colleagues of mine from IDEO and some designers from Moment Design are doing a couple workshops with uh, you know, with with students. And um, I put out put out the information about this. And you know, it's two two workshops. You probably have like thirty people apiece, and and over two hundred people have signed up for these in in the course of a week. And it, it's really interesting to look at the the data around where these students are are sitting within the university because it's a very even distribution amongst all the different colleges and disciplines on campus. Oh, interesting. And in, and you know, these are topics like design critique or design prototyping, but there's equally strong interest from business and engineering as there is from the, you know, from the designers. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I personally don't think it's the sort of thing where like everyone's going to become a designer, right. But there's these core principles that, that are universal. And I also think many of the, the hard skills are universal as well. There's, you know, there's a, there's a strong demand for understanding visual communication, Mm -hmm. communication design fundamentals. And, Everybody needs to communicate, right? Like we, <laughs> we, and we, we sort of respect that everyone needs to take a writing class and, and, and verbally communicate. But, but most of the time we're communicating with visuals too, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so particularly as you make the case, you, you know, you communicate things around data, you communicate with, with, with visualizations and, and images. And um, so there's like those core hard skills um, around design fundamentals that I think everybody needs to know mm-hmm. uh, at, at just a basic level. And then there's the design process that I think everyone can apply to the the challenges they're working through in terms of human-centered research and prototyping and iterating through ideas in a in a in a in a quick way. And so, you know, between between those sort of very specific skills and those sort of more abstracted process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I think there's, there, there's something there for everybody to, to overlap a little bit with design. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so to flip the, flip the conversation a little bit, what do you think needs to happen in education to meet the, the changing role of designers? So I imagine designers are involved in what you're working on sort of across, um, across CMU, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what your perspective is on the future education of designers? Yeah, you know, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about how there simply isn't enough, there aren't enough designers to go around, right? There, right. There's sort of huge demand right now, um, and you you hear about people like IBM trying to hire 1,500 designers, right? Um, you know, as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Just and, scoop them up off the street. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that there's really, there's two levels to think about it. And, and one is what I'm trying to do with the design center of kind of increasing the overlap with design that many, many people might have, where there's, there's this idea that you're high, you're, you know, you're able to hire someone who's design savvy or design literate, or mm-hmm. can bring, bring some of the tools of design to what 
what their their core discipline is and and that helps um but the this sort of bottleneck of like there just aren't enough really skilled designers you know coming out of master's programs and they're like true experts i, I don't have like i don't have a good solution to that because <laughs> i look at it and i think what well, you know design is something you have to learn by doing you have to build up this set of experiences over time um and it just takes time and mm-hmm. so i think i think uh you know I, there, there's no there's no silver bullet there um in terms of in terms of meeting the the, the increasing demand absolutely yeah it's you can't just crank them out <laughs> yeah so i think you know there are interesting things that have have sprung up because of that um where you know things whether it's online courses or mm-hmm. organizations like general assembly that mm-hmm. offer very targeted courses mm-hmm. uh, i think that that's that's you know that's that's a type of solution where if somebody is looking to learn or or build a skill in a in, in a very specific way i mean even even a lot of the stuff that o'reilly does like being able to 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 get targeted education um is a way for for people to 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 sort of become a stronger designer or become an expert in in a specific area um i think that that's one way education scales by being by being more modular mhm absolutely uh, it is interesting to watch all of the different kinds of uh project based education popping up mm-hmm. um and i think that you know that's it's a way of combining it with um formal education that might be more about you know a bigger mindset shift and not as much about specific skill building. And, um, mm-hmm. I think another, I think another approach is something that we're seeing at CMU where, uh, there's, there's now a variety of programs. And so like at the master's level in the school of design, there's now options for students that are one year in length or two years in length, or if they, they didn't come in with a design background previously, um, potentially up to three years in length. Hmm. And, and so, you know, it used to be, there was just a two year master program. And I think that that universities are recognizing the need for, for flexibility there. So that depending on people's goals or, you know, the, the, the time commitment that they're, they're willing to put in, um, there's options for them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So um, back to the design center, I had one more question about that. I'm curious how, like, what are your goals with that? And how are you going to measure success? I think some some of that's going to depend on the final structure for, mm-hmm. for the center, because there's, um, I talked about the education side, there's also a research side where I'm looking to create a structure where we could actually hire students after graduation for a period of time, six months or, or, or even a year, um, to work on design research projects inside of the center. And so hmm. you know, it's, it's unclear right now what portion of the center is going to be education versus research. And I think it's going to affect how I measure success. But I think that right now I'm thinking about it in terms of, of both depth and breadth metrics. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the breadth is like, what's the diversity of students that the center can serve? So it's going to be a success if it isn't just attracting students from engineering, you know, but from a, from a broad range of the different colleges and, and disciplines on CMU's campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in terms of the depth metric, there's, you know, it kind of relates to the research side of basically trying to create pathways for a smaller number of students 
to build that overlap with design beyond just a you know a, a little an introductory course or a fundamentals course and and you know if there's new pathways for students to move you know get introduced to design and then move into a minor or move into one of these postgraduate internships then it's it's kind of a pyramid where where I want to serve a big base of students but still have some that can kind of climb that ladder to to really be a, in a hybrid discipline by the time they leave CMU and you know I guess the ultimate metric for me would be if CMU started to have a reputation where every student was design savvy in the same way that it has a reputation right now for every student being very, very technically savvy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great goal. Um, so before before returning to CMU, you were at IDEO, and um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what your role was there and what what the big takeaways were, what you learned. Yeah, so I was, I was at IDEO in Chicago uh, for eight years. And I was leading the interaction design group mm-hmm. in Chicago. And so my role was a mix of a bunch of things. It was guiding projects and mentoring and hiring and bringing in new work. But I, I spent probably 30, 40% of my time directly on, on, on project teams, you know, being part of the team, contributing to research and designing. And the great thing about IDEO is, especially for being there so long, just the range of projects that I was able to be involved in and the range of industries. And, um, you know, that's, that's truly the value of, of a place like IDEO with, uh, the mix of experiences I got to have. But mm-hmm. so I think there's, there's a lot of learning to just seeing the patterns across those, those industries, mm-hmm. seeing how, um, seeing how much organizations play a role in the, the ultimate success of a project and, and understanding, you know, it's sometimes frustrating of how, how, how we're able to actually work with or integrate with an organization as an outside party um, or not. But I think I, you know, the other, the, the other big takeaway is probably the, um, the power of teams and the team structure that was there hmm. at IDEO. Cause every, generally the structure is that there's, there's very autonomous teams that are working full time on, on a single project and that, that ability to really dive deep and be given the, Given the autonomy to to come up with you know unexpected process or or ideas that you know it wasn't a it wasn't a formula it was kind of re restructured at the beginning of each project and um, that that was really powerful I, I think it it's kind of it's kind of related to the idea of culture where you know not not culture like you know wacky events and <laughs> juice in the fridge and stuff but like cultural norms you know like cult like 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 of the team or the fact that people can speak their mind or how ideas are shared, um, mm. you know, it's, it's tough to find that right culture. And it, it's, it's interesting. I think now that I've been away from IDEO a little bit, I can sort of look in and see like, you know, what was good and what was bad, but I really, I really respect and miss the, some of the cultural aspects of, of how people interact in teams and um, the, that relationship of, of how, how the team interaction affected the the type of work that that came out of it. So there's there's hmm. um, I think it's I think it's very uh, I think it's very interesting to think about what you can do to instill the kind of culture that that you want. Because you think about a place like IDEO or really any any design consultancy for sure. It's it's just the people, right? Right. Like there's no. It's not like you have an underlying technology that you're you're or 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 some other asset it's you're just you're just a group of people and so 
like um i think in hindsight i would have focused even more on thinking about how to to foster that that relationship between people mm. so i'm curious um on that was there a typical um you know team structure for projects it would vary depending on the on the context of the project but there's typically it was 3 to 4 people in terms of size mm-hmm. and um there would be typically one person from everybody would be from a different discipline though increasingly and i think that this was really valuable um in the in the final years that i was there there would there would often be people from the same discipline paired up on on a project if it was a a, a more complex project maybe two interaction designers maybe two industrial designers um in the mix and mm. and you know that's something that at the time and 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 now i i reflect on as something that is is actually really valuable in order for those people to 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 build on each other's ideas or to provide that sort of in team mentoring mm-hmm. and because there's there's always kind of i was playing a role of kind of outside guide or mentor a lot coming in at various times throughout a project but there's a lot of value in having that really built into the to the team itself and thinking about um how each person in the team might might support the others and there's the the tough part is that you try to get that perfect mix mm-hmm. where everybody is able to learn or support each other in some specific way but at the end of the day it all comes down to scheduling right there's 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 only so much you can do um when projects are starting and stopping at different times they're all of different lengths and it's a massive puzzle to to put it together so you you do your best Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, you mentioned the job fair happening at, at CMU. I'm curious if you have recommendations for designers that are looking at IDEO and saying, boy, I'd love to be part of that team. Yeah, that's uh, with the job fair. There's a question that's coming up. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I think I think it's almost cliche at this point, but the, the, the concept of like a T-shaped person, it really is a good fit with a place like IDEO where, where you have a strong depth in some core discipline, but that mm-hmm. you can span across a range of others and, you know, that you're not focused on like just one medium, like, you know, really, really specializing in some aspect of, of the web or mobile because the projects, the projects are just so varied. That, right. The, um, it's a place like IDEO is a place that really kind of rewards hybrid people who are, have more than one depth or don't fit into predefined roles. And, and that's, and that's good because there's lots of places that support people who are deep specialists. <laughs> you know, I, I, but I often talk to, to students or, 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 or even professionals who feel like they are like, they can't find the right fit um, because companies are wanting to pigeonhole them in one, one role or another. I mean, the classic, classic case is sort of like, well, are you a designer or a coder, you know? Uh, and that, and that's sort of going away. That's sort of blending more nowadays, but, but, you know, like I was just talking to someone who's, you know, really a, you know, she's in architecture and HCI and it's like, okay, well, where do I, I actually want to do both, you know? And, um, whereas a lot of places kind of feel like they don't have a place for those hybrid people. I think IDEO is, is, is seeking them out because, hmm. it, um, and that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean generalists, right? It doesn't mean that um, it doesn't work if you're somebody who is 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 just kind of dabbling in a bunch <laughs> of things because you still have to go deep. There's still that point 
like right. structure that I'm talking about where like, you know, you get to the point in the project where like the rubber hits the road and everyone on the team has to like be able to, you have to be able to rely on them for, for, for some kind of expertise to like dive in and make stuff. And, um, so there's, there's always a need to know like, where does your expertise lie? But then that, that sort of really broad range of interests or, mm-hmm. or sort of curiosity about everything is the, the type of, the type of personality fit that's, that's really good for audio. Mm, that is interesting. You, you also mentioned culture fit. I mean, do they look for a certain type of, of person, you know, personality wise, because those teams that you talk about, that is, um, it's not magic, <laughs> although it feels like it when, yeah. when you can get great teams working together. I mean, the, I think in terms of cultural fit, which can be kind of a loaded term, but <laughs> the, the, I think it comes down to how you can work with others. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. really, that's really it. And, and, and if you can, if you're somebody who is able to contribute ideas in a, in a broad way or, and, and be passionate about them, but not, but not, um, protective of them, mm-hmm. you know, to where, to where you, it's, it's this idea of, you know, strong ideas loosely held mm-hmm. of, of being able to, um, to, to really be excited, but also like take input and, and, and push back. I mean, that's one of the things that I think idea rewards that attitude and by, by being open to input from anybody, you know, I, the number of times that I've seen like an, you know, an intern have an idea that's respected by everyone just as much as a director. And that's great. That's a great, that's a great environment to be in, but you have to feel, um, you have to also feel okay with your idea being sort of questioned or pushed back against by anybody, right? And so, I think that that sort of openness to mm-hmm. to, to input and and ambiguity around like whose idea was this, you have to be comfortable with that mm-hmm. and, and and actually embrace that. Interesting. Okay. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, you wrote while you were at IDEO, you wrote understanding industrial design, um, and I'd. Oh, you actually co-authored it. What I'd love to hear about is what prompted you to write the book in the first place. Yeah, the I think the subtitle of the book kind of gets to that explanation a little bit because it's subtitled um, "Principles for UX and Interaction Design." So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of designers who have defined their careers by focusing on digital products, and and that's evolved a lot over time. You know, whether it's you're back on CD-ROMs or you know, <laughs> websites or mobile app, but um, but there's a there's a huge group of people that really think of themselves as digital designers, and and increasingly today, um, that's becoming a, a blurry definition because so many products are combining digital and physical together. Mm-hmm. And you know, even like the the idea of being an interaction designer used to like very specifically invoke something screen based. But what you're there's, there's 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 the combination of digital and physical interactions in so many products. Um, now there's, you know, whether it's automotive or medical devices or door locks, like the the internet of things is just kind of (laughs) blurring this line between, between these disciplines. And so there's a lot of digital designers out there that that basically just need to understand industrial design more. It it might be a new thing to them. Um, it might not be in their educational background. And that's one context of like seeing, oh, there's this environment, this, this book could be, could be useful, but I think it's also the current environment is, is just kind of a catalyst for getting more people interested in a broader idea of design and design and history too. That, that, that's part of why I was excited about it, that, you know, industrial design has been around for over a hundred years. It has this rich history and it, it's, 
it's not just the these sort of hybrid products or or, or you know um, hardware technologies that um, that we can learn from, but actually you know the fundamentals of designing for people are mm. are are quite similar. There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot that can be learned by by looking a little bit further back in history. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not new, but it's it's new to to interaction designers for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so what, I mean, talk about just sort of the high level goals of what you, you, you want readers to walk away with after reading the book. Yeah. So the, the book is structured around these different principles. So like one, one principle per chapter and the things like sensorial and simple and playful, mm-hmm. beautiful. And, um, and you'll notice those principles aren't something that's unique to industrial design. And, and that's kind of the point because the, each chapter is very example driven and uses you know dozens of different products to show how one might embody that principle in something physical in in in, in industrial design um, and but the the idea being that that can be inspiring to designers as they design something physical or just to think to to build this 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 sense that there is this broad overlap between the two and that it isn't a foreign world, that the, the, these, these, these outcomes are something that can be thought of and can be achieved through different mediums. And so, you know, that's why the examples aren't exclusive to, to modern connected devices. It's not, this isn't, this isn't, this is going to be very useful for people who are de- designing connected devices, but it's not just drawing upon examples of smart products uh, that from the last couple of years, you know, it's really, um, Actually, a lot of times, if possible, looking at how a certain principle can be embodied in a purely physical form, hmm. such as, you know, simplicity, um, and then talking about how adding digital capabilities can and should enhance that simplicity instead of degrading it, right? That you actually need to, to, to start embodying what you want in a product at, 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 you know, in, in a purely physical way. And that too often the 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 addition of these <laughs> new technology is actually what gets in the way of that, right? Right, the noise, right? Yeah. And yeah. so you know, I I hope that I hope that readers get um, get inspiration out of it, and that they can translate to whatever they're designing, whether that's digital or physical or these hybrid hybrid products. And um, I guess I hope hope it exposes them to new ways of thinking, and 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 that it's that it's a jumping off point for them to either learn learn even more about industrial design or collaborate better with their colleagues or um you know or maybe start shifting their point of view to thinking of themselves not as digital designers but but really as as just designers who who can you know use the same sets of tools and understandings about about people to span these different mediums sure sure i am certain that there are going to be many industrial designers who will thank you for this book <laughs> Just so everyone's speaking the same language. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of a funny question because your new role, but are there, what are your go-to tools for design work these days? If you're looking like even, you know, the design of what you're doing, as you said, you're, you're treating it like a design project. Um, I'm curious as to what, what you use. Yeah. If I think about the most valuable tools that I'm using right now, it's actually, anything that allows for real-time collaboration. Hmm. So this is stuff like, I mean, a lot of it's really like core basic stuff like Dropbox and Google Docs mm-hmm. um, and things that allow for sharing very seamlessly. And, and you know, 
it's something that I think is actually a bigger a bigger theme. Because if I look at if I look at other tools that I'm using for like more hands on design work, um, you know, for for you know, every once in a while I'm still still diving in and designing a, a user interface, and I, I'm going to something like Sketch, or I'm having mm-hmm. to. Uh, kind of actually getting back into some front-end web development stuff uh, right now. And, and I'm, I'm loving this tool called, called CodeKit that um, makes, it, makes it easier for someone to like get involved in all these, this world of front-end preprocessors and refreshes things very quickly. And I, I, one, the theme I'm seeing through like all the, the different tools that I'm, I'm drawn to are things that Reduced steps of handing stuff off, reduce the friction of seeing how uh, changes, how, you know, when changes are made and, and just kind of increase that transparency if you're working either by yourself or, or collaborating with, with someone else. Like every once in a while, um, in the last couple of months, I've been involved in a, uh, a different kind of process where, you know, people are emailing pdfs and <laughs> word docs back and forth to each other and you know it, it when you run when you run back into that it's it, it, it makes you really appreciate the the, <laughs> the real-time nature of things like like google docs it's important to remember just how awesome it is and 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 how little you know how, how it wasn't that long ago when when uh, you had to call yeah. people to make sure they got your your change rather than just you know assuming it Right, right. Boy, that's so true. I see it in in our work here. I mean, I think half of it is what you're building, but the other half is how do you share it in a way that makes sense if yeah, you're and, collaborating. And move it, you know, move it forward in a way that can can just be more more ad hoc and more um more flexible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not having to rely so much on on a rigid kind of process and review because everyone's just seeing the same thing as it's, as it's evolving. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about education already, but I'm wondering if there are other challenges that you look at um, for design as a discipline and say, boy, that's, that's a big issue that we need to, we need to address. Um, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, design is always, running into new challenges <laughs> and and I, I mean i think it's kind of at two levels because there's there's always the challenges of ever-changing technology mm-hmm. um that we just don't know how to design for yet right and 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 so that's that that becomes a very specific kind of tactical challenge whether you know like designing with real data when like the it, it's a personalization model that's so complex you like don't know what's going to actually show up for somebody or designing with artificial intelligence where like you're not able to specify a real like if this happens then make that happen and so how can you be how can you ensure that it's a good experience um and i think that there's things like virtual reality and augmented reality that people are like only beginning to grapple with and thinking that's just like this never-ending cycle which i think is that's fine it, it's it, in some ways those are the small challenges more than big challenges um because I think the other side of it is that design is being embraced by all kinds of organizations that traditionally haven't embraced design. And people are trying to bring design to spaces like healthcare and education and inequality and government services. And you know, there, there are these lofty goals for what design can like impact. And I think 
the big challenge there for the discipline is is actually figuring out how how to make meaningful change in those environments. It's very, very context specific. It's it's how how do you work through the organizational and cultural challenges um, in those kind of complex systems to actually use the tools of design to make something happen. And you know, this is something I, I ran into when I was at IDEO where lots of times it didn't feel like the the sort of small tactical design parts were 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 the real challenge. It was figuring out how to get this integrated in to the organization, how to actually how to actually, you know, take action on it or make make sure that it it, it gets out there in the world in the way that um, can can impact something. So I think that's that's designers using the same tools and processes that they're they're used to, but having the kind of respect for the complexity of the situation and 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 actually um, figuring out how to grapple with it and and look for those little little inputs to 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 make a difference. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, one final question for you, uh, beyond your own obviously your own work, what people or projects um, are you finding interesting these days um, that you you're following? Uh, there's a couple people that stand out that uh, I just sort of are excited about what they're doing. Um, one is a woman named Sarah Hendren. Uh, and she's at Olin College in Massachusetts. And mm-hmm. she, she, I first learned of her work at the the IO Festival where she gave a talk. But um, she focuses a lot on inclusive design and adaptive technology. So, so really designing for for everybody in this very um, interesting way of of looking at the way that people, uh, the way that people adapt and 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 hack things to make them work for them and uh you know how can we how can we actually design to be to be inclusive and so she's in an engineering school and she's but she's a designer and she's bringing this point of view uh to bear and she just launched a really interesting project um called engineering at home hmm. it's engin- it's engineering at and she it, it's kind of centered around this woman named Cindy who was a um due to various complications had a, a, some form of amputation on all four of her limbs. And so she's a very extreme user. And, and, and that idea of being inspired by what extreme users do is is core hmm. to this because the project's all about um, looking at these various kinds of adaptations that she herself made to products um, in order for her to use them. And it's, it's a really interesting example of this sort of user-driven innovation, but I think it's really inspiring for designers to look at that and then see you know how how they might build that in more from the beginning, or have empathy for for people that are uh, you know have different capabilities than than just you know what you're assuming. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely check that out. The engineeringathome.org. Um, and then the another woman that is someone I've been actually working on setting up some collaborations at CMU with her. Her name's Cheryl Dahl, and she runs a organization called Future of Fish. Uh, as well as as well as a uh, consultancy called Flip Labs, and she has this really interesting process of addressing systems design, and it kind of it kind of gets at what I was mentioning with like some of the challenges for design as a discipline going forward because she's she's she addresses she looks at complex systems and tries to view them 
in a really holistic way and, and, and look at systems change by, by, by saying, okay, let's, let's try to address the whole, the whole system. So for example, uh, future of fish is looking at this problem of global over overfishing. Mm -hmm. She's been working on, working on it for like either five or seven years. I don't remember, but a very long time. And, um, so it's a very committed kind of practice. But they actually, um, her organization uses entrepreneurs to look at every part of an ecosystem. So like with fish, she's, she's working with fishers and packers and distributing and restaurants and grocery stores and marketers and consumers and actually trying to bring together entrepreneurs that represent all, all those different parts of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. That way, when she's looking at what could change in the ecosystem to address, you know, issues like global, you know, global overfishing, she can, she can actually try different interventions at different points in the system. And, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, sort of zooming out to see the hole and zooming down to see, see where something small could happen. And, and it's something that I find really inspiring because it's different than what I was doing at IDEO where I was always working with one client and with, with an individual client, you know, they're part of a, of a larger system, but you can only really push and poke at the system from their point of view. Mm -hmm. you know, you can't, the problem might, add, the, the bigger issue might actually be something that isn't under their control and uh, it, it, from, from, that, from that larger systems view. And so it's interesting to see someone like Cheryl try to, um, to figure out, well, how can, how can we actually design uh, with, with our hands around that whole system and rather than poking at one part of it. Mm -hmm. What a smart approach to uh, a, a big problem, really. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. So the future of fish is her kind of test bed for it, and that seems to be working very well. And then uh, she started a company called Flip Labs to basically take that approach and bring it to other big systemic problems, you know, whether it's domestic violence or income inequality or, you know, these things that seem too big to get your head around, but can start to be broken down if you're actually working with, with individuals and companies um, that represent the different parts of the system. So I, I'm looking to, I'm, I'm scheduling a, a, a workshop with her at CMU uh, later this month to, to, for her to actually teach some of this process to, to students and um, bring that perspective to campus. That's awesome. I'll, I'll have to check both of these out. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. You can reach Simon through his Twitter handle at Simon King. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn so you never miss an episode. 